0: everybody, my name is Athena and you're here for a spooky episode of Vanished in the Valley. Now, I have talked about this guy. His name is David Palades, and he has a couple of books and even now a couple of movies called Missing 411. And a little bit of background on him is he was a San Jose police officer for 20 years he does have a master's degree in human resources, and he has been a journalist and worked for all different types of companies, be it tech companies, or I guess most recent would be the uh, company he has founded now that has put out his books, which are pretty cool. If you guys want, take a, go take a look. They're called, the, I think the most recent one is Missing 411, The Haunted. Now, a lot of people will just straight-up discount him, because some of his uh, ideas are kind of out there. But, he backs everything he does up with science. So, you know, he goes out, and his teams collect different hairs, and they will send that into laboratories, and pay tens of thousands of dollars. To get to the bottom of what this stuff is where is it coming from and it's never reported on in the media how fucking surprising but he has come across what he calls Bigfoot hairs now I'm not going to be talking about Bigfoot today and some of the disappearances is just this guy happens to cover these disappearances and one of the I guess one of the cases that he has covered that stuck out to me the most is actually kind of an old case, okay? So, the kid's name that disappeared is Douglas Leg, and he disappeared from the Adirondacks in New York State. And this was hell of years ago, guys. Douglas disappeared on July 10th, 1971, and that was from Oswego County, New York, he was born August 11th, 1962, so he would be 58 years old today. He was 8 years old, 4 foot 6 and 76 pounds when he went missing. He's described as a Caucasian male with blonde hair, blue eyes. His nicknames are Doug and Doug and he did have a slight speech impediment at the time he went missing. So, just the basics of the story is him and his family were visiting his uncle at the family's 12,500 acre estate in the San Tanani Preserve in Newcomb at the time. On the day of his disappearance, they were all actually out on a hike and his uncle had sent him back to change into long pants because he was afraid he was going to get poison ivy on these trails. So. This was something the family did all the time. This wasn't out of the ordinary. The family was extremely wealthy, which afforded them the opportunity to pay for private searches in the weeks after his disappearance. So at around 3.30 p.m., the uncle sent him back to change into those long hiking pants. And they had gone hiking many times in the local area, and they were very, very familiar with the whole area there. It was only a short distance back to the camp, but he never arrived and has never been seen or heard from again. The search after he went missing lasted six weeks and was largely financed by Douglas's wealthy family. But the search never turned up anything. No signs of him were ever found. He was in third grade at the time of his disappearance and he was living in Baldwinsville, New York. There were rumors that foul play was involved, but most of the investigators believe Doug was lost or died in an accident in the wilderness. The case remains unsolved and very cold. So as I'm telling you this story, this happens to jog your memory. Please contact the New York State Police at area code 518-897-2044 or you can email me at vanishedinthevalley at gmail.com or go to the Instagram account or Facebook, just type in Vanished in the Valley and you can get a hold of me like that. And for this case, I got my information from the Missing 411 books and the Charlie Project just so I could give you the bland vanilla situation on it. But we're not going for bland today. I'm going to tell you the full-on spooky fucking crazy shit about this case. So, get ready for this one. Douglas Leg, his uncle, and a couple of other family members were headed out for a hike on July 10th, 1971, when an uncle told Douglas to walk back to the camp to get some long pants on to protect his legs from the poison ivy. It was a short distance and a straight walk, and there was even a path. But the boy, Douglas, described as an avid hiker and a mini woodsman in media accounts from the time, did not meet back up with his family and was never seen again. More than 600 searchers, both professional and volunteered, combed miles of woods for six weeks. Helicopters and U.S. Air Force planes equipped with infrared equipment to seek body heat were also used. And... The Green Beret were actually flown in to search for this little boy, but not a trace of the Syracuse-area boy was ever found. Long Lake resident and Adirondack historian Phil Terry was among those who took part in the search. After the owner of the summer camp, where he worked, volunteered counselors to help out the day after the boy went missing. They posted flyers all over the region and at every trail hood in the high peaks, as the dragnet widened throughout the summer. Terry says he had never seen anything like it. There was nothing in the history of the Adirondacks that came close to this little guy's search. As the search continued without any clues being found, rumors flew about what could have happened. I bet they were old-school true-crime Karens being little bitches. <laughs> but with the uh, all these rumors going around, the accusatory fingers pointed at relatives, friends, and others. There were all kinds of absurd, ugly stories, said Terry. But the police theory all along has been that Douglas got lost and in the unforgiving woods of the Adirondacks, in an area rife with swamps, bogs, and other areas that could swallow the young boy whole. It is such a wilderness there, said state police investigator Patrick Kelleher, who is overseeing the investigation as it heads into the fifth decade. Over the years, we've heard different things, but none of them have ever led us to a conclusion that he was kidnapped and murdered. Investigators have occasionally run down leads in the case that have come up in recent years. Like, take for example, in 1993, a lake bed in Lewis County was searched based on a woman's claim that a boy had been kidnapped, killed, and buried there, but nothing was ever found. An island in Newcomb Lake was also searched, according to the state police. We follow leads that have come in over the years, but none of them have ever found out to be anything, Kelleher said. Many of Douglas's relatives have died in the years that have passed, Well, it's like no shit, dude. It's been like 50 years. Including his father. The family sold the property months after the boy's disappearance. And that was like actually one of the rumors. That they uh, killed the boy and then staged the disappearance to try to raise the value of the land. Like, what the fuck? How is that going to raise the value of the land to murder your little boy and then stage's disappearance like they had no way to know that the media was going to latch on to this and that old school true crime karens were going to get involved and start their bitchy little rumors which total side note i watched that documentary on netflix i think it was like last night and oh my god you guys they did like they highlighted a little part where these true crime karen total bitches We're just like relentlessly attacking Shanann and Shanann's family. Like, I will be the first to admit Shanann came off as super bossy, but to take someone's like bossy demeanor and somehow turn that into, oh, well, she drove Chris to murder her, or she deserved it because she was a bossy bitch. And then to take it a step further and like literally attack her family on Facebook, these. Bitches, I just, are they really that bored or are they really like that mean and vindictive people? It's like this girl and her two children were just viciously murdered by the person she's supposed to be able to trust the most in the world. And all these Facebook true crime Karens can do is attack her and then go attack her family. Like her dad literally had to go on the news to ask people to leave them the fuck alone. And I'm just, I I don't know, I just, I can never understand what's going through somebody's mind to believe that shit's okay. So, if any, uh, (laughs) if you guys know any of those bitches, I think you should just walk up and smack them for me. Like, this is from Athena, from Vanished in the Valley, smack! And they go, like, I charge you with assault, send the assault charge my way. Totally worth it. Anyway, total side rant there. Sorry, let's get back to little Douglas so the disjointed initial search effort was credited for prompting the state department of environmental conservation to put more money into more thorough search and rescue coordination let's get to some of like uh some of the crazy stuff about this case this was actually the last time the family was meeting there before they sold the property and the area where the uncle had sent douglas back was less than a half a mile to the house. And on the way back, Douglas had passed his brother and a cousin. He just never actually returned. The wilderness terrain was covered with swamps and bogs, dense forest and fallen trees. And it made the search more dangerous and very difficult. It was also hampered by the lack of coordination and there was no one officially in charge. So during the search and rescue effort, the weather deteriorated with heavy rains and falling temperatures to around 40 degrees, which added to the danger for Dougie, as well as the searchers. A bloodhound did find a scent, but it was lost at the edge of a swampy pond, which was subsequently drained and dragged. Nothing was ever found, though. Then, sneaker tracks were found about two miles away at Ward Pond on the fifth day of the search, but rain had washed away any chance of dogs picking up a further scent. A week after Dougie disappeared, the family hired an elite search team of over 20 mountain men from the California Sierra Madre Mountains, and again, no luck. After six weeks, the state police called off the search. It's, I'm, I don't know if it was because the family was prominent and they had money, that's how they were able to get, you know, the Green Berets and Air Force planes or whatever, because, like I was saying a little bit earlier, like, this is the largest search that New York had ever seen at that time. It was crazy. The problem, though, like I was saying, is just there was no order to this search. Nobody was in charge, and a lot of times people like that were heading, you know, the different little volunteer search groups were more afraid about losing their search and rescue people out there in this fucked up, dense, crazy wilderness, and, you know, they're trying to not lose all these adults while trying to find a child. I can just imagine it had to be a total shit show. But check this out. In 1993, a woman claimed that Dougie had been kidnapped and killed by her relative, and his body dumped into a lake in Lewis County. Officials searched the dry lake bed, only to learn that the woman was a psychiatric patient suffering from false memory syndrome. Which, honestly, just sounds like a nice way to say bitch was a fucking liar. Then, around the same time, a man came forward to report to officials that he had come across a small skull and partial skeleton in 1973, which he believed to be human. He and a friend were hunting and became separated as he chased a deer across a peninsula leading into a 21-acre island in Newcomb Lake, and it was only a half a mile from the family's lodge. But, for some reason, like a genius, he didn't report it in 1973. He said he didn't because they did not know about the case at the time and had been on leave from the Navy for four days. And he didn't know where he was even, you know, supposed to report it because he didn't even know exactly where he was supposed to be. He later reported it when his friend heard the news reports about the renewed search for Dougie based on the woman's false story. So the man traveled from his home in Montana to show the investigators the area where he found the remains. But unfortunately, they found nothing. The remains would now be tobacco colored and buried under inches of sediment and moss. And since only a general location could be given, authorities only searched the most likely area, which was only about 50 by 50 yards. So the story fits with the last known sighting of Dougie, who was possibly attempting to follow his uncle around Newcomb Lake. Police had the theory that attempting to follow his uncle He walked across the peninsula and thinking he was still following the lake shoreline, became disoriented and lost on the island. The island was searched at the time of the disappearance, but it was hampered due to the dense vegetation in the area. If Dougie did not become lost, he may have fallen to foul play or run off on his own accord and then drowned in a bog or a swamp. The family, not wanting to return to the scene of the tragedy, quickly contracted with the newly formed Adirondack Conservancy Committee of the Nature Conservancy to purchase the entire Santanani Preserve. The furnishings were removed and the Conservancy then resold the property to the State of New York for the incorporation into the State Forest Preserve. For two decades, Camp Santanani buildings were inadequately maintained by the state and required by the Article 14 of the New York State Constitution, they had to remove improvements in order to return Santanani preserved to a forever wild condition. So it sounds like they just tore everything down and let nature take its course. So apparently... Santanani Preserve has been restored to its former glory and is designated a National Historic Landmark requiring a five-mile hike to gain access to the buildings from the closest road. So, I mean, everything is still there. It's been all, you know, updated historically and everything. So, that's it. He just, he's gone. No one ever heard anything from him again. And it's just like the family lost their little boy. It's fucking terrible. Now, one of the themes that seems to repeat themselves in the missing 411 stories is the people always seem to go missing in a rural location they oftentimes have dogs with them tracker dogs either can't or won't track the scent a lot of times the people are either disabled or mentally impaired they are sometimes mostly found in an unconscious or semi-conscious state They're usually lost in the afternoon or the early evening. They're oftentimes going missing in berry patches, briar patches, or swamps. When they're found, they're usually found with clothing removed or searchers have found bits of clothing while searching for the person. A lot of times these people are found in areas that have been previously searched. Uh, Like David was saying, he went to, he was asked to speak at a search and rescue conference of like 3,000 people. And um, they were saying that they had searched these areas for two to three weeks. And there was nothing just for these people to turn up in that exact area. A lot of time, the people that are found can't or won't remember anything that happened during the time they're gone. You know, there's just really weird shit that keeps, it's like reoccurring themes that seems to come on with these guys' cases. It seems like up until recently, like the last two years, the national parks never kept a list of missing people. So they had no idea of who went missing from where or at what time. And it seems like Yosemite has the largest cluster of missing people. And I'm just like, holy fucking shit, Yosemite. That's like my fucking back door. I mean, I've only been there once. But I can't see that because there is hell of people there, like, every year. When I went there to this quote-unquote nature place, you couldn't even fucking, like, turn around in a five-foot radius without running into somebody. So I can definitely see why that is. I did want to tell you about one more missing person story. And it's from a family that is actually from California but they were camping in Yellowstone National Park in Wyoming when he disappeared on April 12th, 1966. So check out this story. It's just so fucking bizarre. So Dennis Eugene Johnson was eight years old. He was three foot eight and 60 pounds. He's described as a Caucasian male with sandy blonde hair, brown eyes. His nickname is Denny and he has a six-inch scar on his abdomen running through his navel. Dennis is from California, and he was camping with his parents and sisters at Yellowstone National Park in Wyoming. When he disappeared, his seven-year-old sister had gotten lost, and he and his father were searching for her in the forest when they decided to split up. Dun-dun-dun! Dennis was last seen walking away from his wife at the Cascade Picnic area, a quarter mile north of Canyon Junction at 1.30pm. His father found Dennis's sister, but Dennis has never been heard from again, and an extensive two-week-long search of the camp turned up no indication of his whereabouts. Not even footprints, you guys. It's literally like he just fucking disappeared. Dennis had prior wilderness experience from going on hunting trips in California with his father in the past, and he knew basic survival skills. He is presumed to have become lost or injured in the wilderness, but it is possible that he was picked up by passing motorists on the park road. His disappearance is considered one of Yellowstone's greatest unsolved mysteries. And it's just like, what are the chances that him and his sister are just going to get lost on the same day? His sister, you know, gets found by the dad, but then Dennis is just gone. Gone forever. And the part that creeped me out was like the no footprints. And there is one story of a scent hound picking up the scent, but then just walking in circles. The dog just refused to follow the scent. And that just makes me like, what the fuck? What is going on that the dog refuses to follow a scent? the footprints just disappear, and the sister is found, but not him. So it's just, I don't know, it kind of just like stuck with me. The search for Dennis was extremely extensive. Johnson's family and park rangers participated in the search of the camp and surrounding areas for two weeks, but no sign of the little boy was ever found. Reportedly... There wasn't even a trackable trail. Like I was saying, the dogs would just go in circles. Now, while most people believe that he simply got lost or injured and succumbed to the wilderness, there is a chance, like I was saying, that he got picked up by a passing vehicle and kidnapped. And if that is the case, we all know how that ends. And it's not fucking good. So... That's all, that's all the information they have. They were never able to pick up, you know, any trail footprints, or scents, or anything like that. No pieces of clothing were ever found, and the little guy just, you know, gone. And some people are like, why would you let an eight-year-old go search in the forest for another missing child? You gotta remember, this is like 1966, and an eight-year-old is probably the equivalent of a 25-year-old now. It's just, and it was a different mentality people had. So, I'm sure his parents felt fucking terrible. I'm sure the guilt was horrible. But, you know, that's, uh, that's all that is known of little Dennis. Dennis Johnson. There is the case of Dennis Martin, who was six years old when he disappeared on June 14th, 1969, in the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. Martin, his father, grandfather, older brother, and two cousins were visiting the park for their family's traditional camping trip. They actually had traveled from Knoxville to this spot to camp. And on the first day, the group hiked 10 miles. The next day, they hiked again. And I'm just like, holy shit. No way in hell nowadays you could get a six-year-old to fucking hike 10 miles. But... Different time, like I was saying. Martin, his brother, and the other kids of the family had just met and were playing hide-and-seek in this little field area where the Appalachian Trail bisects the park. So sometime between 2 and 4 p.m., Martin went behind a bush to hide with the intention of surprising the other children as they passed by and didn't come out. That was it. He fucking went behind a bush and disappeared. How fucking scary is that? His father went out to look for him, but after about five minutes had passed, he realized Martin was gone. And that was it, never seen again. So Martin's dad ran about two miles down the trail, but he could find no evidence of Martin ever having been there. He turned back when he thought he had gone farther than Martin could have traveled in the time he had been missing. And after a few hours of searching, the family finally decided to call the park rangers for help. And this is according to Wikipedia. The area where Martin disappeared is marked by steep slopes and ravines. Wild animals do inhabit the area. So it's like with any outdoor setting. The shit's treacherous and you really shouldn't let little kids out of your eyesight. But it happens. So more than 1,400 people came out to search for Martin and over 56 square miles, making his search party the largest ever recorded in the park. However, like in the first story I told you, a storm went through the area that evening and it had three inches of raindrops washing out the trails and flooding the streams, which would also wash away any tracks the boy left and wash away any scents for the dogs to pick up. That night, the temperature did drop to about 50 degrees. The next day, heavy mist and fog blanketed the whole area, making the search even that much more difficult. Footprints were found near where Martin was last seen, but they were said by park officials to belong to a boy who had participated in the search and not to Martin. The tracks showed that one foot was barefoot, though, leading some to believe the prints did belong to Martin, as none of the boys who were helping the search had been in that area and none had been barefoot. One of Martin's shoes and a single sock were found, but nothing else was recovered. So, to me, that definitely makes me think that was Martin's fucking track. The search officially ended for Martin on June 29th, 15 days after Martin was last seen. His father offered a reward for information, but no one ever came forward. In 1985, 16 years after Martin disappeared, a ginseng hunter in the park told law enforcement that he believed he had found the bones of a child in the big hollow area of Tremont, Tennessee, approximately four miles from where Martin was last seen. He claimed to have seen the remains years before, but was afraid he'd be suspected of harming the child himself because, you know, cops do actually suspect whoever calls the police to, you know, say, hey, I found a dead body, but I don't think that would ever stop me from actually, like, telling the cops I found a dead body. This guy's fucking suspicious, or what? The area he pointed out to investigators was searched, but nothing was ever found. Most people, including the investigators and park officials, believe that Martin was lost and died in the park from exposure to the weather or another cause. Well, that's pretty fucking great reasoning there, you think? Others think he may have been attacked by a wild animal and killed. Martin's father and others believe that he could have been kidnapped. The afternoon Martin disappeared. Another park visitor reported hearing a scream and seeing a man carrying a red bundle over his shoulder. Martin was actually wearing a red shirt at the time and there's no way this guy could have known that. So the report was several miles from where Dennis's family was camping. So, I don't know, I I think officials just kind of discounted that based upon the amount of miles between the two areas. Still, believers of the kidnapping story say that the report came a while after Martin was last seen by his father and think it's possible the sighting was of Martin being abducted. So, at the time he disappeared, Martin was 6 years old, approximately 4 foot tall, and weighed about 55 pounds. He's described as a Caucasian male with dark, wavy brown hair and brown eyes. And he has long eyelashes. Like, they that really stands out about him. One of his front teeth was missing. Um, and like I said earlier, he was last seen uh, wearing a red t-shirt, dark green hiking shorts, white socks, and black low-cut Oxford shoes. Fancy! He did have a learning disability that caused his mental age to be about six months behind his actual age. And his father described him as husky, but he said he loved to hike and camp. He wasn't afraid of the wilderness. But check this out. If he was alive today, he would be 57 years old. So I don't know. With this one, I'm, I kind of like lean towards that abduction theory because what are the odds that a camper that's you know several miles away just happens to describe a child screaming and then being carried over the shoulder Also wearing a red shirt. So, I don't know. I just think back in those days, people didn't really think about kidnapping as something that would happen the way we think about it today. It was before the whole Stranger Danger shit. But, you know, what I'm going to do, though, since it is spooky season, I will, I guess maybe next week, I'm thinking about telling you some more of the missing 411 stories and you're gonna start to see a repeating theme. I did list several of the repeating themes earlier, like, you know, the rural areas, the briar patches, being kind of disoriented or unconscious when found. All of this stuff does kind of have a repeating effect in these stories. And just so you know, never once does David Paladay's claim that Bigfoot has been responsible for these disappearances. So he never says that in any of the books, he just happens to be the director for the North American Bigfoot search. But don't discount him just because that sounds different or you know, anyone who believes you know Bigfoot's real is fucking crazy. I always ask you guys, set aside your bias and just go into shit with an open mind you might actually learn something. I know it's hard and, you know, sometimes we have just some built in or some bias we don't even really think about, but if you set that shit aside, I promise you, your mind will be open and you'll learn a lot, you know? And even if in the end you don't believe it, what the fuck does it hurt you just to listen to it? It may be possible. You have no idea what could be out there. Nobody fucking does. So. I don't know, guys. Uh, I guess as I tell you every single week, be aware and don't forget your pepper spray. Ciao, ciao.